0: Welcome to Soundpost, a podcast dedicated to exploring the meaning of concert music in today's world through conversations with its leading artists. I am Carlos Miguel Prieto.
1: And I am Raul Gomez. And our guest today is Craig Mom, principal violist of the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. Craig, how are you? Great to see you. Great to speak with both of you. It's great to have you on the show. You know, let me dive right into something that I really admire about your work. And of course, you play with one of the best orchestras in the world, but you're also a very passionate advocate for music education. So will you talk to that interest and passion of yours?
2: Well, oh my gosh, I've been involved with youth orchestras ever since I was a uh, young kid playing in youth orchestras myself. And as a matter of fact, that's where I met my wife, Marianne, we were playing in youth orchestra in Milwaukee together. We were just little kids. So always be nice to your fellow (laughs) youth orchestra members. You never know (laughs) where the future is going to lead you. But it's uh, music education is so important. It's, as you said, a passion of mine. I teach at Rutgers University. Uh, in New Jersey and I teach at the Manhattan School of Music in New York City. Uh, and also I have some private students, and I love to see the progress that the musicians make and their growth. And you've traveled all over the world doing this. Is this something that you seek actively? Yes, well, with Orchestra of the Americas, I've been traveling all over, gosh, Europe, and South America, Central America, but other projects also. I've I've gone to the Middle East, and a few years ago, Marianne and I, my wife, and I did a project at the Za'atari refugee camp in Jordan, one of the largest refugee camps in the world. And it was very, uh, very moving experience for us. We were working with young Syrian refugees.
1: When you first got started, maybe your first season with the Met Orchestra, can you think back of that season and identify any shows or operas that really made a huge impact on you as a, as a rookie yes. with the Met Orchestra?
2: Well, my, I came in the middle of a season. I, I had been playing in Lyric Opera of Chicago So I finished out my season in Chicago, then I went immediately to New York. So I came in the middle of the season. My first rehearsal, I sat down in in the pit and James Levine is conducting. And we're in the rehearsal, 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes into my first rehearsal at the Met. And James Levine says, leans over to me, he says, Craig, turn around, look at the stage. I turn around and there are a half a dozen completely naked ballerinas on stage there. (laughs) It was a production of Verdi, Macbeth and it was uh, quite a risque production. And I thought, wow, okay, this is welcome to the Met. This is, this, I'm gonna like working here.
0: <laughs> so I'd like to ask you, uh, because now that we're on the topic of the Met, it's been very, very difficult on you and on your colleagues who have all read and know about tremendous challenges ahead and about the situation right now. But I'd like to give you a chance to um, just to share with us maybe some thoughts that you have on what is happening and maybe a a personal view of what you're going through and what your colleagues are going through.
2: Well, we were playing uh, the Met season going great guns until March 11th and the Met we put on seven performances a week. There's a lot of lot of performances and we rehearse during the day and it's, it's a very, very busy house. And then it just suddenly we got the order that New York is going into quarantine and it stopped and everybody's been furloughed at the Met. And I'm afraid to say that the performing arts might be the last groups that come back to work because of the nature of our business where we have an audience of thousands of people and especially something like the Met where we have large choruses on stage and singers grabbing each other, singing in their faces saying, I love you, or I'm going to kill you, whatever they do in opera, you know, but the social distance in opera is going to be very difficult. And to do that in the audience, socially distancing, it's going to be tough. So I'm not quite sure when things are going to return to normal. But recently we did a at-home gala concert, and that was just marvelous. We had so much fun with that, and we've got a lot of good responses. The orchestra and the chorus, we all recorded in our homes with our music director, Yannick, conducting, and we had had earphones and listening to a piano track we all recorded it at home and our wonderful met sound engineers put it all together and man the results were something else <laughs> we did the third act prelude of Lohengrin we did the uh, intermezzo from Cavalleria Rusticana and we did the marvelous with the chorus the uh, Va Pensiero chorus from Verdi's Nabucco in addition to that, Joyce Di Donato joined us and uh, did a Handel Aria with just the viola section. And this was a memorial, a tribute to our colleague Vincent Leonti, who died of the coronavirus April 4th. So we were all very um, shocked and dismayed with this, with his passing. But Joyce joined us and we had a wonderful concert. Yeah, that was really beautiful. I agree. Thank you.
1: If anybody goes uh, online and if you Google Poker Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, you're going to find this amazing photo of you guys playing poker backstage. So how, how did that get started?
2: Well, it's fun to to get to know other cultures. I mean, when we're sitting in the orchestra playing, we all speak the same language. It's, it's music. It doesn't matter... If if we're from China or Kansas, uh, we're doing the same thing, and we understand the same language. Backstage, we have a marvelous poker game going on during our intermissions.
1: Who are the legendary uh, Met Opera poker players? I mean, there there must be some kind of Hall of Fame, uh, even if not like uh, in the uh, on the walls there. But
2: oh well, that's been going on for over hundred years. That game, it's the Met used to tour every year uh, by train. And there was always a, a, a smoking car, a poker car. But it was a tradition that's been going on for probably 130 years. And we just, our intermissions are usually long at the Met because there's scene changes and costume changes. So we, we have a fair amount of time. So when the when first act is done, we run to the poker table and start dealing. <laughs> and we've had Luciano Pavarotti used to, used to play poker with us. Uh, many singers, uh, uh dancers, you name it. We've we've had a lot of people come in and join in our game. Some sometimes the, a conductor come by and, and kibitz, but uh, they haven't joined our game yet. But I'm I'm waiting. That would be nice. <laughs> we,
0: we all thought that like if when whenever you played Wagner in intermissions, you you would all read Nietzsche. Or you know something very uh, deeply philosophical.
2: Well, t- seven card stud is deeply philosophical. <laughs> Texas Hold'em, this, uh, yeah, it's a very deep game.
1: Uh, <laughs> can keep it exciting.
2: I have to say, I I do a pretty well in that game. We have uh, not too many street players are playing poker. It's most mostly the brass section: trombone <laughs> and trumpet and and uh, French horn.
1: <laughs> and what? When somebody new wants to join, like, how, can anybody just go and play? How does that work?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we tell them that they're welcome to join. And uh, the lessons aren't exactly free. <laughs> Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> you know, I have to share with you a funny, funny story about my first experience with a Met because I, I studied electrical engineering. I don't know if you know this, but I studied at, at Princeton, which is uh, South of New York, well, you know where, where it is, it's be- between New York and Philadelphia, and it has a train that joins New York. And I started going to Met performances as often as I could. And I had one big problem, which was that sometimes the performance would be too long and I could not take a train back and I had nowhere to stay in, in New York City. So. That was the reason why I bought myself a car. And the only car I could find that I could afford was a red Ford Pinto. Do you remember these cars? <laughs> they were famous because they exploded or something. I oh my gosh, I'm, I'm glad you survived it. You know, thank God nothing happened to me, but this red Ford Pinto I bought for $425. It actually worked very well but it had a hole, so I could always see the New Jersey Turnpike from where I was driving, okay? So this is very kind of scary, but what I would do is I would leave and go. At the time, there used to be $5 seats that were not seats (laughs) that were in the back of the house.
2: Yes, that's exactly right, standing room.
0: And I would park 8th, 9th, or 10th Avenue and barely make it to to the performance and then leave and come back sometimes at 1 or 2 a.m. And that's how I heard for the first time most of the Mozart operas, some Wagner and some other works that really were great experiences for me. The Met, in my mind, is connected to a red Ford Pinto. Wonderful. I also shared with Javier Gandara an anecdote because I, I go to New York City quite a lot on these nocturnal flights or very weird times, uh, red eyes, etc. about this gentleman who was sitting right next to me and who took a flight, one of the flights that leave at 2 a.m. in the morning, get to New York City like at 7 a.m. And this gentleman, who was quite humble, had saved during a whole year in order to go hear one of your performances. And that was Goethe Demmerung. How do you call that opera in English? Oh, Twilight of the Gods. Twilight of the Gods by Wagner which he was so excited about, and I said to him, well, you chose a good one, because I think you chose the longest, yes. <laughs> and so you're gonna get a good performance. And his plan, which he made real, was <laughs> to take a flight in the morning, very early, go to the performance, and then take the red eye back wow. at 2 a.m. And that, that is something that is important for our audience to know opera, concerts, symphonies, are not things that are either incomprehensible or too expensive or for the few lucky ones. They are for truly everyone. When I go to a a MET performance, I am amazed at the social component of the audience and how international it is, how varied it is. So, we have to support these institutions because you, the, the Met, is like Orchestra of the Americas. It is a super inclusive organization, an organization that plays all kinds of repertoire for all kinds of people.
2: Thank you. Uh, uh, I'd like to add to that, people imagine that our opera goers arrive to the, to the Met in limousines. <laughs> a few people do, a few people do, but mostly I see our opera goers coming and going just like me on the subway. They're just normal people coming in to, to see a Met performance. So very, there are occasional limousines, occasional uh, celebrities, but mostly it's regular people taking the subway. Uh, you mentioned Goethe Demmerung. I have a, uh, I guess it's a joke I like to tell. I say that, um, you know, the other night I dreamt I was playing Goethe Demmerung. I woke up and I was, <laughs> but it's, it's a great piece, but it's, it's quite long, it's six hours long.
0: And, and tell us, how does it feel to play one of these passages where you are playing nonstop for like
2: an hour? Oh my God, well, the, the opera that comes to mind is, is um, Die Meistersinger. Wagner, which is about the same length as, as Goethe Demera Usually we start it at six o'clock in the, in the evening and it goes till midnight. And the viola part, the string parts are nonstop. I look, the longest rest we have in the viola part is we have one section where there's a 19 bar rest. Other than that, we're playing the entire time for six <laughs> hours. And this is the importance of being well balanced and uh, being comfortable with your instrument. I get playing, and I can just keep playing and playing and playing. Physically, I don't get tired. Uh, mentally, it's it's hard to sustain that much <laughs> concentration. But
1: and that's something you probably you, you cannot test for that when you when you have an audition process right i mean that's just no you come into the job and you have to learn to do that
2: yeah you have to stay relaxed uh, well balanced comfortable with your instrument otherwise it's going to be hard to play a 6 hour opera
1: have you ever had to leave like a performance in the middle of it for any reason like <laughs> have you ever not finished
2: no i haven't i've i've been very lucky a few of our ladies in the orchestra who were pregnant had to leave quickly, but uh, I've, I've been very, very fortunate. I, I've, I've never had a performance. Wow. <laughs> I,
1: I hope those babies have, uh, their names are from the opera that they uh, were playing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: But seriously, are there musicians who have named their babies any of the amazingly Odd names that happen in opera.
2: Uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of it. <laughs> but there, there are quite a few names that you could choose from. Uh, um, thinking <laughs> a- Abigail, uh, Abigail, that would be a good one. Uh, oh, there are so many opera names you could choose from.
0: Yeah, but I mean, are there any like uh,
2: Siegfried or uh, Brunilde or any like that? Not, not in my orchestra, fortunately, no. But I'm sure they're out there. Uh,
0: you know, I, I just imagine naming your son or daughter one of these operatic names. And at some point, they're going to ask you
2: why. Why are you named Nemarino or uh, <laughs> <laughs> Zyglinda? Yeah.
1: yeah, well, let's hope that it's a, a hero in the opera, not a, a villain or, or something yeah. like that.
0: And You know, one question. I think I've already told you that I've had the honor of doing galas in Mexico with the Orquesta de Minería with some of the singers, especially some of the singers from Mexico or from Latin America that have made uh, quite a big name for themselves, you know, just in the last couple of years, Nadine, Sierra, Javier Camarena, people like that. And they are so much fun. She's crazy. And they are so incredible to work with. Last year, we did a gala with Javier, which included music of Garcia, a very famous Spanish tenor who created some of the most uh, amazing Rossinian roles and who wrote uh, Coloratura Arias, which Javier... uh, recorded and oh my god what an amazing amazing experience so these singers when you're playing in the viola section you're actually facing forward does it ever happen to you that you suddenly hear a voice that you say like oh my god and you actually have to like turn around and see what that person looks like can you do that
2: well At the Met, that happens on a nightly basis, I'll have to say. We have such great singers. (laughs) Well, on the first stand, I'm right up by the conductor, so I have a pretty good view, actually, of of the stage. And some of these operas I've played so many times, I've pretty much got them memorized, so I can look up at the stage. And and especially when Nadine Sierra is, (laughs) is singing... I don't care what she's singing. I'm going to be looking up there on the stage. <laughs> she, she is something special.
0: <laughs> so it's okay to look. You're not forbidden to look.
2: Well, you have to do it discreetly. <laughs> Some conductors are more tolerant of that than others. But you mentioned Javier Camarena. He sang with us recently, Daughter of the Regiment. And he every night he encored his, the big uh, tenor aria with all the high C's. We almost never allow singers to do encores at the yeah. Met. But he got it every night. It was so special. He's, he's just such a pleasure to work, as you know.
1: How does that happen, the encores? Is it something that's decided at, like right there and then? And who gets to say, no, you can't, or, or yes, you can?
2: Well, it, it has to be one of these famous virtuoso arias, like the famous tenor aria in Daughter of the Regiment. But it's the audience demands it. If the audience won't stop applauding and they keep yelling encore, then uh, they'll, they'll do it but it rarely happens at the met but uh, we did it every night with Javier
1: but then it's the conductor who like looks at the singer and they like nod or
2: <laughs> they the conductor looks at the singer and he say yes and then the singer say yes and uh, the, the conductor will say okay from letter b and we'll start the, the aria again and then the audience goes wild <laughs> yeah.
1: and i guess the orchestra knows to expect it Sort of, like when the applause goes on for so long and you've done it. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we know. We know. We've been around the block.
0: (laughs) I have a weird question for you. If uh, the World Series were between the Mets and the Yankees, where would the Mets stand?
2: Actually, we've got quite a few uh, Mets fans. The World Series was between them, wasn't it? A few years ago. Yes. But uh, the Subway Series they called it the subway series. We've got more Mets fans than Yankee fans, I think, at the, at the opera.
0: And we, we won't talk about football because I, that, that's a sad story for your city lately, right?
2: Yeah, we haven't had much success <laughs> past past couple of years. Or basketball. No, yeah, no. Or basketball.
0: Are your colleagues sports fans or does this ever happen that you are going through uh, one of the Wagner operas that's six hours long and somebody shares with you what's the score of the game. It's
2: always the brass players.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, it's always the bl- yes. it's always the brass players, and uh, usually they've got their phones discreetly mute <laughs> on their stands, and they're they're checking the scores. Uh, as string players, we really can't do that because we're constantly playing.
1: <laughs> That's a sport,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, we're we're all tuned into to what the score scores are. Do you ever?
0: like sub in with New York Phil or with any of the other musical institutions around town?
2: I used to when there was a New York City opera. That's kind of a sad story. They've kind of gone away. But I used to sub in with the New York City opera and such a great bunch of people. I just loved doing that. They were very welcoming and they usually filled the summer slots when the Met was on vacation. I used to play occasionally with them and they had a wonderful poker game (laughs) also. But uh, the Met keeps us so busy. As I mentioned, we do seven performances a week plus rehearsals. We rotate. I don't play seven performances a week, but the Met is on that much. But to play with other orchestras, it's, it's hard to find the time as a string player. Now, some of our brass colleagues, for example, uh, Mozart uh, operas, only call for two horns. And we have, I think, 10 horns at the Met. So they have more flexibility. So very often, some of my colleagues will tour with the Chicago Symphony or uh, flying to uh, Berlin, play extra with the Berlin Philharmonic, various orchestras. But we string players, we don't get that much opportunity to do that because we're just so busy at the Met.
1: And Craig, let me ask you this. It's been a couple of months, right, since uh, performances stopped. And it'll be, you know, most likely a a few more months. And hopefully we're all going back sooner than we even think. But besides the music making, what do you look forward the most uh, coming back to work?
2: Well, the camaraderie with my colleagues. Uh, I've got such a great group of of people I work with, besides the orchestra, and I really love my colleagues. They they are such a good group, but the singers, the the chorus, our stagehands, I I feel we've got the best stagehands in the world. They are so skilled, they work so hard, and they're really nice people. I I miss all my friends there. I'm looking forward to coming back and, of course, welcoming the, the audience back
0: Craig, I don't know if you know, but
2: Raul is a father. Oh, congratulations.
0: Yes. Yeah. Her name is Alma. Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Alma Rose Gomez-Smith. She is 13 months old. She just started walking and our days are just filled with, you know, all the adventures of being new parents. And she loves to, uh, we have a a piano keyboard for her that's at the right height. so she kind of goes to it and she always go for the low notes.
2: Fantastic. The oldest.
1: <laughs> so I'm seeing maybe, uh, you know, I, I hope so. I have one right there, or maybe I'll have to uh, buy a, a, a minivan and, <laughs> and, and, you know, carry a cello around or something. <laughs> oh,
2: fantastic. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank
1: you. Well, you know, I am in awe and eternally grateful to all the parents of harp players, such as yourself, Chris. Yes.
0: <laughs> one thing I recommend to you is actually if, you know, there's these uh, music exploration moments where kids are, you know, led to go to different instruments. The day that you take Alma to one of those, hide the string bass. (laughs) Okay. Hide the oboe too. Maybe hide the French horn. And well, now that you're at it, hide the harp. And I love all these instruments. Of course I love all these instruments, but I'm just telling you because if she plays the bass, then you have to get a different car. If she plays the harp, then you have to have a different car too and all kinds of different things around it. And a harp. If she plays the (laughs) oboe, we're not gonna go there about the reeds and all that. And if she plays a French horn, it's gonna take you a long, long, long time to enjoy anything she does. So, I tell you, those four stay out. You can include Viola, okay? I
1: have it figured out. I'm gonna stage my own instrument presentation. <laughs> I'll just hire the the uh, people of the instruments that I want her to be exposed to, and then you know she'll have a, a more limited uh, uh, group of instruments to choose from. So, see, I. I I've thought about this. I
0: just insulted, like, (laughs) half of the orchestras, So, like, I'm going to take back my words and say that whoever plays harp, bass, oboe, and horn have my double admiration because of the reasons that I just stated. (laughs) But for your daughter, and if you want to keep it simple, actually, right next to me, I have two violins. If I had to have two harps, I would have had to completely do a different thought process to come here. Uh, how is your harpist daughter, uh, Craig?
2: She's doing very well. She's, she's teaching uh, at the University of North Carolina Her orchestra, the Charlotte Symphony. She's principal harpist there. They aren't performing now, but she's doing online teaching. Uh, she's doing very well. I wanted to, to mention how she got started on the harp. <laughs> She was singing in the children's chorus at the Metropolitan Opera, as both my kids did. Well, the the children's chorus might go on for 10 minutes in the first act, and then they'll have two hours off, and they'll come in in the third act. So she had a lot of time to kill around backstage. Well, just like the harp players, (laughs) they might play uh, uh, something, two minutes in in the beginning of the opera, and then they've got a couple hours off, and they come in for a big flourish at the end of the opera. As harpists are, they would be in the cafeteria knitting or reading books or chit-chatting. So my daughter Andrea just hung out with the harp players, and she bonded with them, and they showed her the instruments, and that's how she became a harpist.
1: She was indoctrinated.
2: Yeah, she was, yeah. (laughs) I guess she liked the thought, too, of of, uh, coming to work, but sometimes you only have to play a few minutes and then you can Mm. relax the rest of the time. Unlike us, uh, uh,
1: we string players. Craig, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's great talking to
2: you. Oh, pleasure. Thank you so much, Raúl. Thank you, Carlos Miguel. This has been SoundPose. I'm Carlos Miguel Prieto. And I'm Raúl Gomez. Talk to you soon. Soundpost is
1: a production of the Orchestra of the Americas Group with additional support provided by M.Y.S. Portland. Visit the forward slash soundpost to learn
2: more.